3: LP, Laguna Nigel, Laguna Laguna Beach Beach. Member supported KXFM on 104.7
4: KXFMRadio.org
3: I'm Marianne Williamson. Jack Canfield. Sabon
1: Fusome. I'm Doreen Virtue. My name is Sondaghan Reeves. Hi, I'm Carolyn
0: May. This is James Van Prog, and you're listening to Inner Journey with Greg Friedman.
1: Keep doing what you're doing, Greg. Balancing the negative radio broadcast with positive energy.
3: Yeah, baby, here we go. Welcome to Inner Journey with Greg Friedman. You know the gig. Sex, relationships, dream interpretation. We talk about it all. We don't tell you what to do. And we don't tell you how to do it. And the reason is, it's your life. It's your choice. It's your responsibility. And I say this every single week. Your life, your happiness, your love, all take courage. And what we're going to do on this program is introduce you to pathways and possibilities Really no different than going into a restaurant and looking at a menu. Because it's on the menu, don't mean you got to order it. And because you order it, doesn't mean it's got to be your favorite dish. Try it, you'll like it, forget about it, it'll be lovely. And whatever works for you, that's phenomenal. Whatever doesn't, throw that sucker back. Just order another dish. It's not going to be your last meal. The bottom line is, be happy. And do that by choosing happiness. And we'll be back with more Inner Journey with Greg Friedman right after this. Welcome back. You are listening to Inner Journey with Greg Friedman on KXFM, broadcast from Laguna Beach. California, all over the world, 104.7. If you want to find us on social media, it's Inner Journey with Greg Friedman. How do you come up with that? And the website is gregfriedman.com. All right, y'all, you know, so many, so many things to talk about. We have Miguel Rivera coming in later, just a An elder that I have a huge amount of respect for. And we have Mary McPherson back with us again, our astrologer. So hang out and you're going to hear some of that. Right now, you know, there's something that's been bouncing around my noodle and I wanted to share with you. Life is about 10% how you make it. 10%, 10%, that's it, about 10% how you make it. And it's 90% how you take it. This world, all of it, is more about how we perceive, how we interpret, how we create our own reality instead of the goings-on. The goings-on are going to be a moment here and a moment there. It's our choice. It's our responsibility, like I say, incessantly to either decide to interpret our lives as happy or as miserable, as grateful or as an ingrate. It is entirely up to us we're going to work our tushes off. And then I'm, I hear the voices. I always, and then I'll get feedback tomorrow. What about if this horrific event happened and this horrific event? Well, it happened. I'm not going to deny that. That falls into that 10%. Now, here's the thing. If we can teach ourselves how to process in a different way, if we can teach ourselves to recognize that that was a moment but it doesn't define me. What defines me is this moment. And how am I breathing into it? And am I giving up this moment? As a, am I surrendering this moment for something that happened? I heard a saying a while ago, said, are you really having a bad day? Or did you have a couple of bad events or a couple of bad minutes that you're allowing to color your entire day? Choose Most of all, choose to be present. Choose the day, the day's divinity. And every moment, every second, every breath is up to us. Are we going to be happy? Are we going to be sad? Are we going to be miserable? Or are we going to be ecstatic and grateful? Are we going to accept ourselves and everybody else in this moment for who they are? As they are. Don't know. I'm still trying to figure it out myself. And we'll be back with Mary McPherson and more Inner Journey right after this. Welcome back. You are listening to Inner Journey with Greg Friedman on KXFM. You know, during break, I started telling Mary... McPherson, our astrologer, a story that connected to what I was talking about earlier. That when I was, I, earlier I was talking about life is actually 10% what you make it and 90% how you take it, how you interpret it. And after I told the story, Mary said, Tell that. I went, I just did. And she said, No, with that look like, No, dopey. Tell it on air. And I went, Okay, so there is old parable about a donkey that fell into a pit. And the farmer didn't know what the heck to do. He had no way of getting this donkey out. He tried everything. He brought neighbors over. Nobody could figure out anything. And finally, the farmer resigned himself to just bury the donkey where he was. And he started throwing shovel load and shovel load of dirt on top of this donkey and everybody was shocked because instead of succumbing to it being buried under it the donkey used every little bit of dirt piled on him as a step to climb higher and higher and higher until he was finally able to climb out of the pit and I bring that up because that is so much of where we are right now. We can employ all of this stuff that's being piled on us as a burden to be buried under or as a step to help us elevate to new heights, to new breath, to do freedom. It's our choice. And Mary, I'm sorry I hogged up some of your time. With us right now is Mary McPherson. She is a brilliant teacher. A, uh, There are so many things you do. And Mary, in all honesty, we don't take much time at all to talk about some of the things that you offer. I know that you do something called brain optimization. Is that correct? Yes. Whoops. I think I might need it. Say that again, please.
1: <laughs> yes. Brainwave optimization.
3: Okay. And then... There are other, you work with clients one on one. You've taught workshops. What kind of things do you teach in the workshops?
1: Well, my workshops basically are about uh, the fundamentals of mysticism, finding the mystery that is you, and building on it, and all of the uh, tools of the trade that go with that. You know, mm-hmm. um, astrology being one of them using crystals, using tarot cards, all the, the tools of the trade, I should say, are brought into one class and they're brought in to awaken you to what mysticism really is. And so that is a year-long class and it is uh, everybody that has ever taken it continues on after because it's just so exciting. The, the key is, is I want people to wake up to their power That you are the mystery, you are the power, you are the magic, Mm -hmm. and it takes steps. It's a weekend workshop is not going to have (laughs) that profound awakening, Uh and (laughs) and so when you build and build and build on yourself, and you build on understanding the knowledge that you are one with the universe, Mm -hmm. there's nothing you can't do. And so most of my students go on to either you know go on to their life's career from there because they feel the confidence they feel that they are the power they are the mystery so that is my my long work standing workshop but i have so many are you doing
3: that nowadays or and are you doing it via zoom or are you or are you doing it at
1: all well we um kind of closed it down last year you know we, it's a year-long class closed uh-huh. it down but this year I am going to be starting it again, but yes, via Zoom, and um, I was going to have four people in-house, but the people were fighting for who got to be the four people. (laughs) 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 I didn't want to offend anybody, so it's going to be all 100% Zoom, and we'll see how that goes.
3: All right, and do you have any clue when it's going to
1: begin? Not yet. Yeah, we're working on that tomorrow. Actually, we have a mastermind meeting with my little group tomorrow morning. And so we will be setting dates and uh, figuring out how we're going to set it all up. But yeah.
3: Fantastic. I
1: love to teach, you know.
3: And you're phenomenal uh, at it.
1: All right, Miss Mary,
3: what do we got in the stars today in the moon?
1: Well, basically, you covered it. You know, um, we have just come out of a very intense Mercury in retrograde. And it started, you know, right when we were starting the new year. So everybody you know, has their new year resolutions. But yet it, it almost felt like nobody could move through it or complete it or start it. or And it became very overburdening. Of energy from this last Mercury in retrograde. And now we're in what's called post-retrograde. And so we feel like we're climbing out of that hole. It's like people are waking up all of a sudden. We're climbing out of this hole. We just had this beautiful full moon in Virgo. And mm-hmm. so the beautiful, the mother, the love, the nurturing. And so I want to invite people to use this time to really use the energy that we're experiencing right now for self-love, self-discovery. We have to let go of the old story about who we are. We've been We've been in the ditch mm-hmm. and thinking there's no way out. And like Grade said, there's lots of material that's coming at us that we can dig our ways out our, our way out. And most of it is in the stars right now. So this is really beautiful. We are in what's called post-retrograde. So this Mercury in retrograde has like a, it's like a tail end of a comet that you can still see. Mm -hmm. Even though it's gone out of sight, the tail end of the comet is still visible. So this past Mercury in retrograde has left us with this like lingering um, feeling of not knowing where to go next, what to do next. So I invite you to go in. Go deep within And I want you to clean house, clean all of the self-defeating beliefs that you have about yourself. And what's great is we have all this beautiful Aquarian energy that uh, Mercury is in Aquarius right now. It's about going really deep. You know, Aquarian's about being deep and going in. Mm. And so Mercury gets deeper. You know, if we break. A thermometer and Mercury goes all over the place. It gets into every little nook and cranny. <laughs> so, so the stars are inviting you to do that, to go in, to go deeper. The sun is in our beautiful Pisces, and so is Venus, the mother. We are in Pisces right now. We have entered the Christ consciousness. Ooh.
3: Dig within.
1: it. Nice. So why don't we try to wake up that light within us, that Christ consciousness within us to see the way out of the ditch. We can't do it by looking up to the sky and seeing the sun because all we're going to see is the high walls Mm -hmm. and it's going to be self-defeating. I gained too much weight during COVID. I drank too much during COVID. I didn't do this during COVID. I didn't do that during COVID. And so we're burying ourselves. We're digging the ditch deeper and deeper and deeper. Mm-hmm. The stars are aligned right now to wake you up. And so to be in alignment with that now is the the best time. I would say wake up tomorrow morning and just just put on your happy face and... <laughs>
3: I'm sorry, I don't have one. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. And know that people are shoveling dirt on you. You know, there's relationships. Everybody's kind of, you know we we were talking with, with the kids not having social connections and all you know, having social anxiety in brainwave optimization, a lot of what I'm dealing with that I never dealt with before is social anxiety in teens. And it's rampant because they don't know how to communicate with each other.
3: Well, you see a bunch of teens, and this is going to make me sound like an old fogey, but whatever. It's you see a bunch of teens out at like the yogurt shop down the street. You get 10 of them, and they're not talking to each other verbally. They're talking to each other in front of one another via text.
1: Yes, it's, we see a lot of that. It's just it's like right here. We need
3: the, the text and the other forms of communication are lovely enhancements. However, they are not substitutes. We need contact now more than ever that the universe or governments or whatever it is that you feel it is that is separating us, whatever the cause is, we are being separated. It is vital that we remember now more than ever to connect.
1: 100%.
3: Anything else you care to share?
1: Yeah, you know, it's it's time to clean up that old unresolved relationship with yourself. And you know, it's we we tend to want to talk to people around us, but if we're alone in this COVID time, which I'm hoping and praying that it's going to end soon because it looks like things are going to be opening up in a few months in the stars, so let's mm. hope that COVID opens up too. Um that you go in and you Look at the unresolved things you have within yourself and start journaling and saying, okay, I'm not just going to clean my house. I'm going to clean my mind. I'm going to clean my overwhelm. I'm going to clean my past out and get rid of it once and for all. You know, birth yourself into 2021 and leave 2020 behind. And people want to get a hold of you? Mary at awokenlife.com.
3: Mary at AwokenLife.com. Mary, you are always a pleasure and a treasure. Thank you very much for sharing.
1: I love being here.
3: And we'll be back with more Inner Journey and our guest Miguel Rivera right after this. Right now, we are here with Miguel Rivera. You know, Miguel, in his own words, said that he knew from a very young age that his purpose was to help people, was to help people heal. And I'll tell you this. I have had the honor and privilege of spending time with him, sitting at his feet and listening to him tell stories, doing ceremony with him. And I absolutely can tell you that he is a blessing on this planet and a healing force in this world. Miguel, welcome to Inner Journey.
2: Uh, Good evening, Greg. Thank you very much for your kind words. And I want to say hello to all those out there in Radio Land. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever whatever we call it, however the message is getting to you through the airwaves, greetings to all of you, wherever you may be, in wherever land, or whatever place you are at at the moment. So,
3: greetings to all. I love it. All right, Miguel, I'm going to jump in with the first question I ask every single guest, and we'll rock and roll from there. Sure. All right. We have had everybody and their cousin. You've known a lot of the guests that we've had on this program. We've had healers and medicine men and shaman and authors and artists, people from practically every walk of life that there is. To a person, there was an event. There was a catalyst. There was something that really thrust them on a poignant aspect of their journey. What's uh-huh. your story? My story? Well, you
2: know, it, it's. I, I can't give you, like, a, a very simple answer, but it was a, a series of events that made me uh, realize that I had to ask different questions about what was going on in my life. And the very first story that comes to mind is I was I was born and raised in Guatemala, and uh, Guatemala in the 1953 and the 50s, in the early 60s sometime, I was uh, raised in uh, Guatemala, if you know the country well, it's about anywhere about 60% full Native, uh, different Maya ethnicities, you know. Mm. And then 30%, a mixture of Native and uh, European, spending about 5 to 10%, whatever, there, whatever else there is there, you know. So the, the Native influence in the country is huge, it's big. And so you're inside of this cultural vortex that, it, 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 that has that, an effect on your life. And I was also raised a Catholic. So, uh, Holy Week in Guatemala is a huge, huge, huge event. And on Holy Friday, if you understand the, the Catholic, uh, how everything is constructed, is a very big day because it's the day they reenact the, uh, basically, the crucifixion of Christ. And so we were, in, and it's usually the beginning of the rainy season in Guatemala. In this particular uh, year, we were in high mass on Holy Friday, and the massive rainstorm comes into the church. You know so the only, the all the all the electricity goes out mm-hmm. and basically the only thing you see are you know a few candles on the altar I was somewhere towards the back of the church but the church had a bunch of domes or cupolas as we say in Spanish right that had a bunch of tiny windows and so the the only light in the church was the lights from the candles right way at the at that where the altar was and also whatever light would come in from the lightning the flashes of lightning Mm -hmm. So the lightning was so intense that it would come in in different directions, right, in different paces. And between the smoke of the incense rising, it would become very, it's like being, (laughs) it was very hypnotizing. It was incredibly trance-inducing. And at some point in time, I went into an altered reality.
3: How old old are you at this point?
2: I was about seven or eight years old, somewhere in there, you know. And so... I realized, I, I went into a trance because it's very hypnotic when you see lightning flashes come in, how they stagger, you know. And then lightning, if you pay attention to thunder, right, And lightning, they have different hues. Sometimes they're purple, sometimes they're red, orange, green, yellowish. And, and, and so the light would have this very, very subtle, delicate hues in it as it would come in through different directions. Sometimes you'd get two or three coming in from different directions at once and it was like trans-hypnotic. And I realized that Whatever, is it, whatever goes on in the world, it's not only what's happening in the church, but without out there. The mystery is a much, much larger experience. So that was one of my first indications that whatever construct humans have and how they have defined the universe, that's not the only way to look at the universe or the way the, way the world is around us. And that was one of, the, one of the ways then. You know, I spent a lot of time in nature when I was a kid. I would spend hours and hours and hours listening to water over rocks. Uh, uh, bird, choruses of birds in the morning at dawn—you know, countless amounts. I can say so. That's my first introduction to the to the innate, to the world around us. You know, it's through sound and through light, and that kind of an experience.
5: Absolutely. So Go ahead.
2: Yeah. So my my father was a surgeon. My mother was a nurse. My uncle was a surgeon. So um, basically, my house was a hospital. The back end of the house was like a small six. Or a 10 bed hospital with an operating room and a nursery for babies, and the front end was a clinic. So, all day long, everything that went on in the house had to do with healing. You know, my mother, my grandmother had us basically at noon every day would come home from school and the two hour lunch period, right? She had a huge rosemary bush in the middle of one of the courtyards. So, our job was to go out and get rid of the ghosts every day at noon. Wait, 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 wait. Could Could
3: you back that up and say that again a little bit more slowly?
2: Every day at noon, we had to go clean the house from ghosts. That was our job. So we would go. Uh, we didn't have gas in those days. So we had a big wood stove in the house. That's where all the all the meals were cooked. So we I'd go out. My brothers would go out. And my sister would go out and get a bunch of coals from the stove, put them in a in and some sort of a saucepan, and get a bunch of rosemary from the bush and go around through all the rooms in the house, just cleaning the house, getting rid of the ghosts, you know, for the day. So that was a daily ritual for us, and many, many years did that. You know? And so basically I realized that I grew up hearing that I was going to be a surgeon just like my father was, just like my father was. Mm-hmm. And So we moved to the United States. My mother got very sick, and so they couldn't figure out how to deal with uh, the disease. It was lupus. So mm-hmm. kids, we came back to the United States. I moved uh, to upstate New York in 1966, so it was a huge <laughs> transition going from what. Uh, from <laughs> <laughs> no TV, you know, no TV at all. We had, a, I think, in Guatemala in those days, there was two channels, maybe three, all black and white, you know. And coming to the United States was like a humongous culture gap, you know. I was like, I was going, whoa, 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 this is really something. But I figured out how to make my way, and I ended up working in a hospital for two years mm-hmm. as an orderly. My last two years in high school, I, one day on, one day off, one day on, one day off. And so, I learned a lot about uh, what what goes on in the medical world. Uh, having been raised in the hospital, I used to watch my uncle operate when I was a kid, he'd take me into the operating room. I used to watch him operate. and then I would go with him on make rounds in the hospital, and I would also go make house calls, you know,
5: mm-hmm. and we
2: would see all the people come into the clinic in the front of the house. We'd open up the door to the waiting room and see count how many people were there and go tell him we he used to hang out in the in the if there was nobody in the waiting room. He'd hang out in the living room or the dining room, you know, eating
5: his food or whatever,
2: or talking to us, telling us stories. And then we'd go check out to see how many people were there. So all around my house, basically, everything was related to healing. And from my experiences in the hospital, I realized that everything, the source of of, of where the disease is, if you're somebody that's dedicating to healing, you're always looking for where the source of the disease is. And it's not necessarily always in the body. I learned that.
3: Whoa, 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 whoa. Uh, I'm going to stop you right there and jump in because very often, or most often in my experience, in Western mes- medicine, that last statement that you made is not true and we'd be better off it if it were. In other words, that too often in Western medicine, I see that people treating the symptom, not the source. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. And but- you- go ahead.
2: No, no. By the time it gets to the body, it's already metabolized in some form, and you're like, you're not looking. You're looking at the wrong layer, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. So you're looking at a surface layer, not a not a core layer of where where the where the problem might be. You know,
3: right? So, yeah. And when you say to look beyond that to go to the source, help help us understand what that means and what that process looks like, if you would.
4: Well for
2: instance uh when I was in the, when I was in orderly in in the hospital, all the surgeons that were working uh in the emergency room, almost all of them were studied to be psychiatrists. <laughs> so think about that huh. you know so and so to me, the obvious uh deduction there would be that if you're a healer, if you're seriously interested in healing, you're always looking for where the root of the disease was, right and to many of these they they realized that it was not necessarily in the body, it was somewhere else, you know. And so they were starting to be psychiatrists to take it to the next level. I used to watch my, one of my jobs in the emergency room was to, uh, it was not as complicated as it is today in the hospitals, right? It was just a very small hospital in upstate New York on the way to the Catskills. And so people would come in, they would leave me alone most of the time in the emergency room. So my job was to get name, address, what happened, and get on the phone and call the doctor and the nurse. So I had about anywhere from, Mm-hmm. Three to five minutes alone with each patient that they came in. When it was really busy, everybody was seeing in the emergency room. But when it was slow, they would be there alone. So a lot of times, I was the first person that the, that patients would see when they walked into the hospital. This is nineteen. This is nineteen sixty nine, mind you. Okay, so <laughs> yeah. things are very. <laughs> Post Woodstock or pre Woodstock, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call it, you know. So things were a little different in those days. But mm-hmm. so I was the first person that they would see. And because I had been in hospitals, you know, I grew up in the hospitals. I, I, I could play the you know, So most people thought I was an intern, even though I was only 17 years old, you know.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, and what I saw in people is in many, many cases, you know, they would, they were, they would do terrible things to themselves or allow terrible things to happen to them so they could go somewhere where they could be safe. I don't know how to describe it, but it was it's something that I could see, and once I recognized that sense and and, and people's uh, and the people's demeanor, you know, I remember looking at I was filling out this one uh, I was talking to this one woman and getting all her information, and when I looked into her eyes, what I could see the expression was telling me I'm finally I can see I can feel safe is what she was saying, you know, And so I thought, oh this is really interesting, and once I recognized that I could see that a lot of people. Their lives are very turbulent at home, you know. There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of kind of very challenging circumstances in which they live in. So they, they want to go somewhere where they can be safe, where they can feel protected, unconditional. I learned how to put words to that in much, much later years, but that's one of the things that I saw.
5: Mm-hmm. So
2: that allowed me to see, to realize that, oh, maybe this is not, it, maybe it's not just the body, but it's also the spirit or the mind and the soul, right? So, it's a combination of things. It's not just one or the other, right? But it's a combination of all things, many, a multi layered thing. So, that to me is, is, uh, is a way of beginning to understand what I'm talking about how to uncouple or how to identify the layers, you know?
3: So. Okay. So, that's you, 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 what I hear you saying is that there is something that drives us more than most things, and that's a feeling of safety of being okay. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't mean, and to me, and I was just talking about this earlier in the monologue, being okay doesn't necessarily mean that it's the exterior circumstances that are okay. Mm -hmm. It's Because I I said earlier, I began by saying, life is about 10% what you make it and 90% how you take it. And what I hear you saying is very similarly, it's you're coming in, you have people coming in from all over feeling unsafe, a basic human need. Uh-huh. And, and it's about not only what's going on outside, the chaos that's outside, but it's also the chaos that's outside that has taught us how to interpret things but, chaotically internally. Is that what you're saying? Exactly.
2: There, there, there's a mirroring in there, in the outside and the inside. And so, to me, the, the question is how to really go inside and and how to find out what exactly is going on inside, you know.
5: Because mm-hmm.
2: a lot, of, a lot, a lot of, a lot of times, the, the level of uncomfortableness that people have is on the at a core level, at the core of your being,
3: you know, to use those words. So right. Yeah. And then how how do you get there with them? You recognize that at a very early age, okay, what they're looking for, what she's looking for, what all of us really ultimately are looking for is a place. That's a haven and within ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that's what, I mean, that's part of why I call this show inner journey because ultimately it's all about that journey to get to ourselves where we have, everything that we need. We are everything we we need because we are both the drop in the ocean and the ocean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, So how do you, or how have you then once you recognize, okay, they need that. How do you help them? Whoever them is in this particular case, walk to their own safety.
2: Well, Part of it, it's a very complicated uh, question because it's different for everybody, but there's a lot of variables in there that have to be taken into account. And so you have to uh, slowly, uh, to use this word, is uh, dismantle, right, or deconstruct, but carefully like pry apart the different layers of the individual. So you have to recognize patterns of behavior that have been in place since the conception of the individual, right? Mm-hmm. So you realize that for a lot of us, uh, we are compromised in some form from the point of conception. A lot of us are not necessarily ceremonially called into this world when we are when we are, when we are conceived, mm. right? So, right there from the get-go, you have a number of of, of of components to the individual that that have to be dealt with right off the get-go. For instance, uh, one of my teachers, or one of our teachers, Wallace Blackall, used to talk about medications. I you know, used to say medicines, you know. How can the doctors? He goes when they prescribe you five or six medications. You know, you take five or six medications at the same at the same time. They go, they go, they get in there and they start fighting with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, ah, this is my job. No, it's my job. What are you doing here? No, blah, 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 blah. pretty soon the medications are all fighting with each other, and nothing gets done. And then I, I I sat with that for a long time, and then I realized, oh wait a minute, if I have in me ancestry that is historically right in the same boat right in in examining my life I have I have uh, Spanish, I have Maya K'iche, I have Polish, and God knows what else right? <laughs> so the the ancestry in me we, in my own being is at odds with each other historically. Just when you look at all the I was talking about this a while ago with uh, with uh, uh, it's been on my mind recently because of several events in my life that I don't have to get in here now, but in the wake of first contact, right mm. considering what happened when Columbus arrived on these shores, all that is we inherited a version of that inside of us. So until we come to terms with that, you know, and especially that Columbus, because that that, that uh, indicates the arrival of the Spanish, for people in North America, right, it's a little different. It's all the arrival of the English and and the northeast part of the country, right, and all the other waves of immigrants that came. Right. All that all that mayhem travels with
3: us. Well, and Miguel, we we don't even have to go that far back. Look at this world today. Look at this country today. It's everybody. It's like they're insisting upon the divide for the most part. Right. And and I cannot tell you how many times I have been railed at from both the left and the right when I say, let's build a bridge, guys. Let's make an alliance instead of an enemy. And and, go ahead. It's hard. People don't want to give that
2: up because they are so identified with, I, with the, the label, the, the armor or the, the suit that they have put on that defines them. It's Even though it might be weird or warped or crooked or whatever, too tight, you know, too narrow, the wrong color, that's what they're used to feeling. And so they don't want to give that up for fear of the unknown. You know?
3: Yeah, let's make this a little bit more specific because this is a really, really important point. And oh, I yeah. want people to understand it viscerally. There is a ton of studies that illustrate how women that are beaten will consistently go back to the perpetrator that beats them over and over and over, no matter how hideously they've been beaten. They, and the reason for that is essentially, if I understand you correctly, what you're talking about. Will you take this and run with it a little
2: Sure. I mean, it's, it's a sense of familiarity in the unknown, right? <laughs> it's more terrifying than the known. It's, it's traumatic and as dangerous as it might be. And basically, you're looking at bad maps, right?
5: Mm-hmm. And that
2: very, famous, that very famous quote, the map is not the territory. This is what we're looking at right now. And the unknown is terrifying for a lot of people because you have to give up the structure, the belief structures that are so embedded in the culture that don't necessarily work, you know? We have thought structures that have been in place in this current civilization for hundreds, if not thousands of years, that keep us at odds with each other and foment a certain level of amnesia that disconnects us from ourselves and from our place in the world. Most of the people I've been working with uh, very intense aspect segments of the population for the better part of forty years since I started running soil lodges, you know. I work with people in and out of prison, people, kids in and out of gang. I work with people in rehab. I work with people in and out of the military. you know. And at a certain point in time, you realize that the story, doesn't matter where the individual comes from, the story is identical.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Be, uh, it doesn't matter what the ethnicity, it doesn't matter what the social or economic group is, the story is identical. And then you realize what I've learned over the years is that we are humans first. Humans first, men and women second, and all the other divisions, and then all the socioeconomic groups. But we have to really consider ourselves human beings and a community of beings that are not necessarily human. And so we have to go back and basically re-sanctify ourselves as human beings, you know, no matter what the stories are. And what's really critical is for a lot of people, you have to be able to tell the story of what happened to you, what happened to your family. What happened to you? And it has to be witnessed. And sometimes the terror of that is unbelievable because there's a lot of pain and suffering, shame, trauma, whatever you want to call it. And Mm -hmm. we are so bent on pathologizing everything. And,
3: (laughs) you know, but that's (laughs) why that's one of the keys to AA. It works because they set up an environment where there's no shame in saying, hey, I'm going to get up here and tell you all the crazy, insane you know, sometimes degrading things that I've done. Right. And they say, thank you for sharing. Right. And that's a thank huge you. gift.
2: It is, because you can't change the fact that events happen to you. What you can change is the emotional relationship to the event, you know. I mean, I was invited to ask to give a blessing.
3: <laughs> I'm only <laughs> laughing because that's exactly what I talked about That, in in probably six words was what I spent five minutes talking about at the beginning of the program.
2: (laughs) So we're telling each other in some form, right? (laughs) (laughs) But what's, what's happening is you realize that we can look at anything from any point of view. And one of the problems with Western thinking, right? Or whatever you want to call this mode of thinking that we're, that we operate right now is it makes things linear, right? Mm -hmm. And it keeps things, either this or that, but it's not this and that. A very simple semantic distinction there, but it's critical in understanding how to get out of this vicious loop that we live in right now, and this is what we're looking at right now, right? We're changing a legacy that's been in place for the better part of 15,000 years, something like that, to my estimation, you know?
5: Mm-hmm. And so
2: we have to be able to uncouple from that, and we, the way the language, English for instance, you know, is a very noun-based uh, uh language so it objectifies everything it objectifies fire it objectifies water it objectifies earth it objectifies air it ob- objectifies humans and by objectifying them it creates fragmentation and we don't need fragmentation right now we need defragmentation we need a sense of recognizing the fact that we are in relationship to each other not not in an adversarial point way point right but in a necessary way of survival one of the things that was shared with me by one of my teacher's sons or teacher's sons, uh, Wesley Elk used to say to me, "You know, the the white race carries fire, right? The black race carries uh, water, the red race carries earth, and the yellow race carries air. Mm-hmm. And you can't have one without the other. One alone of these is dangerous because they are <laughs> they have a certain dynamic that needs to be balanced by the other. This is a very simple way of looking at it, but you can't have in all the altars. I can look at Let's say a Maya altar, a Lakota altar, a Niagara altar, they all have all the colors in there, black, red, white, yellow, blue, green, in some combination or another. That means that there's a fundamental way of all the races coming together and carrying vital information. What we've done in the past historically is one or the other decides that they have to make everybody be how they are, and you can't do that, you know, because everybody's inexorably linked to the earth in some particular way. I had the good fortune of spending a lot uh, some time. My sister.
3: Wait, like, before you get into that story, I'm going to blow you away right now. Believe okay. it or not, we have whipped through our first hour.
2: No uh,
3: kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm We're telling you. <laughs> I trust me. We got time. We got a whole other hour. But okay, before we go away from this hour. I'm, we're here with Miguel Rivera. Um, Miguel, please let our listeners know how they can get a hold of you and what are some of your offerings.
2: Uh, how they can get a hold of me? Uh, they can send me an email. For right now, we're working on a website. Uh, You're I'm like so the it.
3: tenth person that's waking on a website that I've had on lately. Yeah.
2: Well, I've been I've been off the grid for years. You know, finally, it's time to uh, basically make ourselves. Everything that we've been doing has been grassroots level. So you can leave a message if they want to at wgrw.org right that stands for Western Gate Roots and Wings Foundation wgrw.org is one way to get uh,
3: wgrw.org yes. All right Miguel we are here with inner journey with Greg Friedman and Miguel Rivera and we will be back with more after the top of the hour
4: Hi, I'm Bruce Lipton, and you are listening to Inner Journey. Inner Journey with Greg Friedman, helping you realize and make real the life of your choosing.
1: Be excellent.
3: LP Laguna Nigel Laguna, Laguna Beach. Beach.
4: Member supported
3: KXFM on 104.7.
4: KXFMradio.org.
3: My name is Greg Friedman. I am a modern version of those that have existed in every culture. I am a guide. For years I have taken people all over the world to work with indigenous elders in exotic locations. Only to show you that you are the just help you realize it. It could be terrifying to look at our fears, and sometimes, even more so, to look at our strengths. I take you out into the wild, into the unknown, for an inner journey. Welcome back. You are listening to Inner Journey with Greg Friedman on KXFM, broadcast from Laguna Beach, California, all over the world. If you want to find us on social media, it's Inner Journey with Greg Friedman, and the website is gregfriedman.com. This evening, we are hanging out with Miguel Rivera, Uh, Miguel is, he would say he's a helper, he's a healer. To me, he's an elder, he's a teacher. He is a wise person that is generous enough to share his wisdom, even as he's gathering more for himself. Miguel, welcome back to Inner Journey.
2: Thank you, Greg, thank you. Uh,
3: You know, before we left for break, there's two things I wanted to get to. One is you were about to tell me something about your sister. And then I also, and I'm saying this out loud for myself as much as anybody else said, because I want to make sure, what does it mean to be an elder to you? <laughs> um, so, well, uh,
2: well, which one do you want first? <laughs> no, your <laughs> choice. Elders, okay. I'll go with my sister because that's where we left off. But I'll tie that into being an elder. Okay. Um, my sister is a journalist in Guatemala, or was for years. She does different things now. She mostly translates now from Spanish to English. But she gave me a book of poetry in 1995 that totally blew my mind away. And that's the poetry of uh, Guatemalan, Maya, Quiche, Humberto Acabal.
5: Mm-hmm. And
2: when I started uh, reading his poetry, it just totally tr- transformed me. And it gave me an insight into myself and my relationship to my land and to uh, something that I had in my blood that I didn't understand. And so over the years, we've been translating his poetry into English and working with it. Uh, I got the opportunity to work with Robert Bly in 1992. I was invited to go to one of his retreats. And over the years, uh, because Robert is such an incredible poet, uh, we use poetry to open up
3: people. Well, people a work. lot of people have no idea. There's actually a number of people that are huge in um in the world of personal growth, um, and especially from a masculine perspective, that mm-hmm. you've had, um, you've had the experience to share time and wisdom with. You've had Robert Bly, James Hillman, uh, Maladoma Somme, uh, so many others. And trust me, I'm going to get in trouble for mentioning Maladoma Somme because um, I have a lot of people that um, Sabanfu Somme was near and dear to their. Their spirit, oh, yeah. their soul, their heart, and she has been a guest on my show, uh, was a guest on my show a few times, and I was honored to be able to spend time with her. Um, let's start with Robert Bly. Who is Robert, well, Robert
2: Bly? Robert was, well, most people know him as a mad poet that started the men's movement, but Robert really, what he was trying to do is try it's trying to get us to be better human beings. <laughs> That's what he was really doing and he was using uh, whatever he could at the time to get people he wanted people to be awake you know just to be alive and to be awakened to be re- and to be connected to the world that we live in It's about as simple as I can put it and he used arts to do that the art of poetry and he invited anybody else uh, to come along and participate. Robert was an avid learner and he was learning uh, he's still learning today to today. He's not working much these days, unfortunately. But he's he's one of those persons that will never ever stop learning, you know. But one of the gifts that we had from working with Robert is I started reading the poetry of Umberto at the men's retreat that we were doing in Minnesota, and so we published the book of poetry in, in two thousand nineteen ninety nine two thousand. So we brought Umberto to the United States, and I wanted to share one of the poems because it's important about how to get to where we need to go. And uh, I'll I'll read it in Spanish first, and then I'll read it in English. And then uh, there's two complementary poems about roots. Mm -hmm. So The first one is this, las raíces. Las raíces nos mandan a contar por medio de las flores como la tierra es por dentro. Y las flores se marchitan y se mueren porque acá la vida es muy difícil. In English, the roots. Tell us through the flowers what the earth is like on the inside. Roots tell us through the flowers what the earth is like on the inside. And there are flowers, they wither, and they die because out here
3: life is crap. <laughs> <laughs> Difficult <laughs> crap might be a slightly different interpretation. Go ahead. Right. Well,
2: you people Some people will say feces. That's that's an usable word in this format, right? Okay. Got it. In Spanish, I try try to keep it clean. Okay. So the other one is also related to roots, but I'll say it to you in this way, you know. I'll read it. Hace tiempo, hace mucho tiempo que te amo. Como las raíces que con toda la fuerza de la tierra aman hasta reventar en flor. It's been a while. For a long time, a long, long time I have loved you with the hidden love of roots, that with all of the power of the earth love until they burst into flower. That with all of the power of the earth love until they burst into flower. So what we are as human beings, and this is really critical for us because in ceremony, when we do in ceremony, when we go into ceremony, there's two things that we visit. We visit two different points of origin, Mm -hmm. the creation of the universe, the state of the universe before creation, where all that possibility is in that darkness, in that nothingness, the possibility of manifestation for everything. Imagine a world, with a universe with no stars, no galaxies, no flowers, no cappuccinos, right? No (laughs) butterflies, no flowers, right? No lattes, no nothing, but the potential for that being there, right? And it also in ceremony, you recreate the conception of the individual, two different points of origin the beginning of the universe of the universe and the beginning of you. And what I like to say, in case something happened that made us forget how holy those things, those two things are, and that those things are accessible all the time to us. All we have to do is remember. And this is the value of praying. The value of meditation is it connects us. If it's unconditional ceremony, right? In unconditional ways, it, they can take us back to those points in time, right? Or those points of origin to, re, to recalibrate ourselves to them. This is the value of the ceremonies that we practice because we go all the way back and it's current. It makes us current. So what's important for us is to realize that as individuals, we have our own direct connection to source, to spirit. So we are a root and we can let the earth tell us what it is because we can flower like the roots does and we love the earth with so much love that we burst into flowers so those that's the value of those two poems and the value of the ceremonies that we practice is that they connect us and for us for me in particular what's important is that we all have that ability and if we all show up with our own connection to spirit our own connection to source right and represent from that point of view we can all accept each other for who we are and what we are and how to be in communion and community with each other and this is where we have to get to there is no us in them it's all us this is what we have to do and this is a very difficult thing to do when we see it's like when you come together it's like going to a family reunion you know a lot of strange people wearing strange clothes eating strange food speaking strange languages but they're actually really cool people if you actually get to know them and this is what we have to do is go back to that place So, as an elder, right, my job now—I'm a wrinkled-up old gray hair. And I was saying this—I was with a group of kids. I take my son surfing every Sunday morning, pretty much since mm-hmm. last since last summer. And we have a mentoring group here in LA, and one of their activities is to go surfing. But my job—and I've been using this phrase for years—I wa- I, I, when I marry people, I do weddings. I was saying—I started saying this uh, at some wedding about 20 years ago. I was telling the people to remember the wedding. I said, I want you to be wrinkled up old gray hairs remembering this day. And then I realized I'm a wrinkled up old gray hair now. And when I was a young kid, there was no wrinkled up old gray hair talking to me the way I've, I'm able to talk to these kids. And mm. so my job is to let them know that I was a young one too at once. And I was on fire, but I had nobody reflecting that back to me when I was 20 years old. It, it happened in, in, in its own, it wasn't official. It wasn't seeing me for who I was. It wasn't blessing me for who I was. But our job as elders now is to bless the youth and validate who they are and to love them, unconditional. Mm-hmm. So That's the the sense of how, what the elder is in the culture, and that's missing, you know. What, unfortunately for a lot of us, you know, there's a way in which we're not made to transition from one stage of development to the other. So a lot of us are still stuck at a four-year-old uh, <laughs> age, right? Mm-hmm. We're acting our shoes eyes instead of our age. Many of <laughs> us. I'm not going to name any names, but the lack of elders and adults in the culture is obvious. It's so obvious. So our job, one of our tasks is to make elders and to make uh, adults. You know, mm-hmm. I had a rash. People call me up for counseling all the time in about... 15, 20 years ago, I had for about six months, I got a call every other week, and I must have had about 20 different people calling me for the same thing. And the thing was this, they had never been blessed or validated by a teacher and or parent at somewhere between the ages of 12 and 16 years old. And it was phenomenal to me. It was incredible, you know? I have a, a friend of mine is a uh, he's a therapist and he specializes in, uh, in working with people that are being released from prison. Mm-hmm. One of the things that we have to deal with, with with the high level a high number of people incarcerated right now is that the recidivism rate is
5: huge. Oh yeah.
2: So what are we what are we doing with to prevent people from going back into prison? And one of the things that he was I had a conversation with him days two, two days ago. Mm -hmm. And and I said to him, if you could imagine a world without prison, what would would one of the things that would help? And he said, better home life, better parenting. And I was thinking, that's amazing. Because uh, in 1995, we did a retreat, right? Mm -hmm. And we had 50 kids that were all in gangs from Bay Area, all the cities in the Bay Area, Chicago, L.A., and New Orleans. And I made it a point to go talk to all the kids. And all the kids, the parents, they were somewhere between 16 and 21. Say, okay. And all of them had a very interesting life story. But the one thing that they all had in common, they had never had a reasonable conversation with a man over 25 ever in their lives. And so most of the, and so I was stunned by that. And, And I was saying to myself, could it be this easy? It's simple, but not easy, right? So that means that there's no viable relationship to the father. So for me, for instance, one of the things that we have to critically work on, one of the things that I've been doing for years and what I've tried in life, if you have an archetypal, people use archetypal imagery all the time, but they think of it only as a symbol or as a metaphor or some sort of academic position. But their archety- archetypal energies are real. It's not just a metaphor, right? It's a living, breathing being. And so the archetypal energies of father and mother. Universal Mother, Universal Father are not alive and breathing. You don't. You can't put your energy into. You can't feel that alive in the culture right now. It needs to be reactivated. So that's alive, it's breathing. I have a lot of stories about working with individuals over the years. Well,
3: that I, I want to jump in there for a second because yeah. what you're saying is so vital that it it really calls for reinforcement or reiteration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what I would Almost all the listeners aren't going to know that you and I participate, have participated for many years in the same sweat lodge. Mm -hmm. And last year, almost a little over a year and a couple of weeks ago, we were at a memorial service for Mm -hmm. a a really beautiful, wonderful woman. Uh, And she was in so many different ways the den mother. And Uh during that service, one of the men from the lodge got up and he said a phrase that I thought was, it hit me. And it hit me in a way that was completely unexpected. And he said, Shelly took us in and we were Mm -hmm. her lost boys. Exactly. (laughs) And I went, wow. We, and it's, you go to that lodge and... People don't that haven't experienced this. I could tell you about it, but until it's visceral for you, there is nothing like it. The first time I sat down in that lodge, I knew I was home. I knew I had a home. And I knew, and this is huge for me because in so many circles, I'm looked at as an elder, I'm looked at as the teacher, I'm the one giving the workshop. I got to be in this lodge. And I was surrounded by elders. I was surrounded by teachers. And to hearken back to something we were talking about earlier, Mm -hmm. I felt safe. Yeah, yeah. And that's because in this society, and I believe this is one of the places you're getting to, and in this society, one of the things that is so horribly missing is rites of passage Rituals, and that begins with family.
4: Exactly. And yeah.
3: we need Metered. to understand. I'm sorry. I, give me two more seconds. Yeah. We need to understand that we are a many different versions of family, but mm-hmm. and this some are minor and some are major. But I don't care which side of which fence you're sitting on. You're my brother. You're my sister. You're my mother. You're my aunt. You're my uncle. You're my nephew. Yeah. We're family. And when we remember that in the small, we can then learn how to translate that everywhere.
4: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah.
2: And recreating community. You know, I mean, that's the void that I see everywhere that I travel. You know, there's no, the fabric uh, that compromises our world is torn. Got a lot of holes in it and we have to uh, fix patch those holes, reconnect them, you know. And so it it becomes a pretty – a very interesting, challenging task because you have to figure out what to uncouple from and what to keep.
3: Absolutely. I'm going to interrupt you here because we're going to need to take a short break. Yeah. But I'm going to to ask you to indulge me. When we come back, will you talk to me a little bit more about how – and this may sound incredibly simple or silly to a lot of people – how poetry – and specifically, you use poetry as a device for us to weave one another closer. Fair enough? Sure.
5: Yes, fair enough. Yeah.
3: We are here with Miguel Rivera, and you are listening to Inner Journey with Greg Friedman, and we'll be back right after this. Welcome back. You are listening to Inner Journey with Greg Friedman on kxfm 1047. Broadcast from Laguna Beach, California. And you know the gig. If you want to find us on social media, it's Inner Journey with Greg Friedman. Hey, you guys, a lot of you called in before the show actually began and you wanted to talk to Miguel. If you want to do so, basically it's pretty much now or never. So if you'd like to call in, you're feel free to do so at 949. 949- 715-5936. 949-715-5936. We are here this evening with Miguel Rivera. Miguel Miguel is a healer. He's a helper. He's a teacher. And he does it in this incredibly difficult little tight wire that he walks that is between being very soft and gentle, and jovial, and being an absolute powerhouse. So it's just a pleasure to spend time with him, and whether it's on air or off air, thank you for being you, Miguel.
2: You're welcome, Greg. You're welcome. Thank you for having me
3: on. And before we even go further, just as a little nod, I want to make sure that we say hi and thank you to Uncle Glenn as well. Oh, yeah. So, um, and I'll tell you what, before we even jump into anything further, how about we take a phone call? All right. Hello, you're on air with Inner Journey. Who am I speaking with?
4: Hi, this is Walter. Walter? (laughs) Hi, how are you? (laughs) This is Walter Dominguez, and I... You know, truth in advertising or full disclosure, uh, Greg Friedman is a very, very special man and a very dear friend, and so is Miguel Rivetta. And uh, what a delight to and how quickly the hour has gone, hour and a half has gone by listening to your program. And thanks so much for the kind words about Shelly, my, my late wife. And also, I just wanted to check in with Miguel and ask him if he could share with us what uh, some more information about what is the foundation that he is a part of, what, it in, what it's about, and what it intends to do. <laughs> Thank you, Walter.
2: <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a simple answer, really, but it, it'll require... Uh, we started uh, years ago, we saw the need for rights of passage to come to the country for a number of reasons, uh, violence, suicide, drug and alcohol abuse, and all those things. And the story is about really how to, how to deal with that, how to engage kids, you know. And so Western Gate Roots and Wings, that's the name of the foundation that Glenn and I started about. We began the, the process five, uh, about five or six years ago, and the whole point is to, is to help. We don't necessarily have all the answers, but we realize that by drawing people from all the different walks of life that we know, into one place and coming up with something that we need. Uh, years ago, we had the opportunity to spend time with a Paiute medicine man. His name was Raymond Stone. And Raymond said this to, to us in a lodge one time. He goes, everything that we are comes from the earth. If we ever lose it, we go back to the earth, and the earth will tell us again, will inform us again, will teach us again. So our task is to go back return to the earth in whatever capacity we are in and let the earth inform us. My sense is that uh, the stones, right, the, and the minerals, and the, that make up all the plants and the foods that we eat are now beginning beginning to form our bones. So, you know, the way I look at it is the stones have become our bones. So the earth is claiming us. We're being reindigenized in one form or another, whether we recognize it or not. So it's time to pay attention to the earth, and one of the things is to form a relationship. And this makes the bridge between the universal and the physical, right? So it, it gets gets us related. So the, one of the processes is to make to properly delineate and 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 uh, bring the completion stages of development in an individual, turning a youth into an adult, turning an adult, uh, turning an adult into an elder. And for a lot of us, those stages have never been completed. So our task is to institute that. You can't have initiation without a community. You can't have a initiation without adults and without elders. So we have to do a bunch of, a lot of retroactive work between all the different age groups. And right now you have to be inclusive. So it has to be multicultural. Most of us come from very mixed indigenous uh, ethnicities, right? In some form or another. And so we have to reclaim those roots, like I was saying earlier through the poems, and, and create it all. So it's going to take several generations, many generations to put this into place. But the dream, the vision, the statement has to be put out there to realize what we what we need to manifest as as human beings in a large community of beings so in a nutshell that's what it's about
3: what's your interpretation okay, so, walter uh
4: i just uh, I all i know is that having gone through ceremonies with miguel and with other men and yourself included um it uh The reconnecting, as Miguel was saying, connecting everything up inside, connecting with your past, connecting with your ancestors, connecting with each other, uh, connecting with nature, the connecting of things up uh, is a deeply transformative experience and moves you into a new place. And uh, uh, so for me, uh, all these years of participating with other men in Sweat Lodge and in Sundance and other ceremonies, uh, gave me the opportunity to uh, make those connections on multiple levels and in multiple ways. And uh, so, for me, that was it was a long period of initiation. Uh, but I do believe that uh, even a weekend can be transformative, uh, or a week of working together with with others in a setting where the intention. As to support your uh, connecting up with spirits, with each other, with the earth, uh, can be incredibly healing and uh, move you forward in, a, in amazing ways. I really support what you're doing, Miguel, and mm. uh, and you, uh, Greg, for being the guide and uh, and putting out into the world these ideas and these concepts. And uh, uh, I really look forward to. Uh, Learning more about what you're going to be doing with this new with this foundation, I uh, I really appreciate both of you and how you've dedicated your lives to teaching and growth this way. So, thank you. And thank be- you, Walter. Before
3: we let you go, Walter, you are so much the the paternal that holds space for so many. And I just want to say thank you for that. Thank you. I appreciate that very
4: much. You gentlemen have a beautiful night. I'm going to continue listening in. All right. You be well. Thank you. You're welcome. You too.
3: Bye-bye. Wow. That took a left turn that I kind of enjoyed immensely. I know.
5: (laughs) It was good. We like that. We like those.
3: All right, so where we were before we split, is before we went away for break, we were talking about different things that could bring us back to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And one of those things that I asked if you'd indulge me and elaborate on a little bit is poetry and writing and why the written word is so vital for us as humans. Right. Um, poetry bypasses a lot of
2: the... The the filters in the mind, right? The intellect. The intellect has a a formidable weapon. It's also a formidable tool. But for a lot of us, we get stuck in the thought process that basically isolates the heart and it isolates the body from the that isolates it keeps everything fragmented. You know, so words and poetry a lot of times go directly to the body. They go directly to the soul. They go directly to the heart. So uh, I think it's a great way to open up. Uh, We've done a lot of of work uh, with uh, several groups here in, in town that do use poetry as a way to open up people. They go into schools, they go into rehab facilities, they go into prisons, and use poetry to tell people to tell their stories, to help people tell their stories. So it's a way of opening it up. And Robert was instrumental. Robert Bly was instrumental in this. You know, I spent a lot of time with him when he was getting down on my casework learning how to read poetry properly and not just mangle it, you know?
4: <laughs> <laughs> so
2: I, have, I owe a lot of gratitude to him. But this is, I wanted to read something by William Stafford. It's kind of like one of the classical poems that we use to illustrate why it's so beautiful to open up, right? It's, this, it's called a ritual to read to each other. Mm-hmm. If you don't know the kind of person I am, and I don't know the kind of person you are, A pattern that others made may prevail in the world, and following the wrong got home, we may miss our start. For there is many a small betrayal in the mind, a shrug that lets the fragile sequence break, sending with shouts the horrible errors of childhood storming out to play through the broken dice. This is critical here. Sending out with shouts the horrible errors of childhood storming out to play through the broken dike. And as elephants parade holding each other elephant's tail, holding each elephant's tail, but if one wanders, the circus won't find the park. I call it cruel, and maybe the root of all cruelty, to know what occurs, but not recognize the fact. And so I appeal to a voice, to something shadowy, a remote, important region and all who talk. Though we could fool each other, we should consider lest the parade of our mutual life get lost in the dark. For it is important that awake people be awake, or a breaking line may discourage them back to sleep. Signals we give to each other, yes, no, or maybe, should be clear. The darkness around us is deep. <laughs> so that always, to me, is a, is a great way of looking at things and going, hmm, we have to really consider what we say to each other. Right. Under the circumstances and realizing that we are incredibly fragile beings and we have an incredible story to tell. A lot of the times it's difficult because of how intense it is and how we feel unsafe because of the circumstances that we've been through, you know. Mm-hmm. So um, to go from there to tell the story, when I was working with Umberto Acabal, you know, he would say to me, the horrors of the civil war, 40-plus years of violence in Guatemala was unbelievable. And he was able to transform that cruelty, all that bloodshed, through beautiful words that, that you go, you transcend all that, and you don't want to keep repeating that, mm. right? And you want to move on, but you don't want to move on perfunctorily because you don't want to deny the truth of the experience, but you want to incorporate it into who you are, into what you are, and be able to bring in relationship. We were, one of our teachers was a creek, Muscogee Creek medicine man. His name was Marcellus Williams, and uh, Bearheart people used to know him. And he said, he used to say, he used to talk about the Trail of Tears, talk about trauma embedded in a culture. You know, when you read about the, the Trail of Tears, this is unbelievable, the genocide. And he said, don't you think it's tough for me to hang out with you people? <laughs> it's just like that. Because of what we've what been through, but I, he said, I have to, I must, because I have to be able to move on to the next step. And this is where we come to. And we were Sundancing about five or six years before the anniversary of Columbus. In, in, 19, in 1987, 88, 89, we were all Sundancing. Right? Walter was part of the crew. And Wallace, the, the intercessor, was said to us, the intercessor of the Sundance, said, your people, meaning our descendants, couldn't do this with us when they first came over 500 years ago. On their behalf, you're doing it now. That went into me like a huge lightning bolt, and it stayed with me for all this time. And I realized the rituals, rituals of recipro- reciprocal rituals are necessary to bring peace to the ancestors that are at war with each other. So, our task is to recreate the coming together of the cultures the way it ought to have happened learning songs, learning customs, learning dances, learning cooking, learning the foods. Creating community. So one of the things that we have to be able to get how to change all this polarity that we have now with each other is to create relationships, create compatibility between opposite sides, you know? Mm -hmm. It's like imagine if the earth didn't turn, right? One side would be completely frozen. One side would be completely charred. But this is so we live in a situation like this. But look at the world, how how it spins. The sun is always rising. The sun is always setting. It's always midnight somewhere. It's always noon somewhere. At the same time, it's always winter somewhere, it's always summer somewhere, right? And it's all happening at 65,000 miles an hour. Right?
3: <laughs> okay, I'm going <laughs> to jump in here because yeah. I'm going to ask you something that may be difficult.
5: Okay.
3: All right, so we need to learn the other. I agree with that entirely because mm-hmm. once the we learn the other, they're no longer the other. Exactly, yeah. And so today... In our society, in this country, in the United States, we're international, our audience, but everybody knows that we're broadcast from the United States. In right. the United States right now, there is more divisiveness than I've seen, certainly in my lifetime. Yeah, yeah. And we look at people, and I'm, I'm not going to pluralize this. I'm going to make it singular. I look at people that are... What I consider to be blindly following somebody like Trump
5: mm-hmm. to the
3: point of creating golden idols of him. right. How do I learn the other?:
2: Well, you have to realize that all that anger is masking pain, and that pain is masking and that anger is masking pain and shame are masking where, where's the pain? A friend of mine, another well-known poet, Luis Rodriguez, was telling me a story years ago. He, Luis is a here's an example of how poetry transforms life. Luis grew up in Watts and became a gang banger, you know, or he spent time in Watts and then in one of the uh, one of the neighbors in East LA. And he and when he was in prison, and this has happened to many many uh, many writers emerged out of they used poetry to get out of prison. Luis had this beautiful, amazing poetry, and if you look it up, his company is called Tia Chucha Press, but anyway. He was doing a poetry reading somewhere in the Kentucky, Appalachia, coal country, right? Hillbilly country. And at the end of the poetry reading, these kids came up to him and they said, can we talk to you for a moment? And he said, sure. And they said to him, the only other person who understood our pain the way you did today, the way you expressed it today, was a recruiter for the KKK. All right. (laughs) Sit with that for a while. And so that means that there's a there's a way to create commonality by being able to hear the story. So what happened to the story? I have a friend of mine uh, who basically goes out. He's black, and he goes out and befriends people that belong that, that belong to the KKK, belong to the KKK. So there's ways of reaching out, and I think you have to. You can't just create a quick commonality by homogenizing everything that people are feeling, but you have to genuinely create interest. You know. These things are a reflection of our internal state, you know, and that's somewhere that's really important. I read this, uh, if you read the introduction to A Hero with a Thousand Faces by Joseph Campbell, he wrote this in the 1930s, mind you, okay? okay. It was when the book was written. And he was saying that at the time of it, he saw the rise of fascism, the, the rise of uh, Hitler, Mussolini, Stalin, all those guys, and he said this, the answer is not, the answer is inside. And when you go inside, the first thing you see are all the monsters that are hiding under the bed. <laughs> so that's where the key is in many ways to what's happening. What are, what, what are the monsters that are hiding inside are, uh, that are under the beds or in the closets or in the cupboards in our bedrooms? You know, mm-hmm. That means that the homes have to be re-sanctified. And they have to be reclaimed. And until that happens. So what is the legacy? The ancestral legacy, the uh, the the family history, what's been perpet- perpetuated over generations, right? What has been transmitted? Uh, one of the organizations that we, Larry, that I, earlier, I've worked with a lot of the people that have taught or, or worked at uh, at Homeboy Industries, mm. which is one of the one of the uh, one of the organizations here in L.A. that helps um, uh, kids get out of gangs, transition out of gangs, and they're great. And their slogan is transform, do not transmit the trauma, transform the trauma. So how do you transform the trauma? Wait, 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 wait,
3: wait, wait, before you go too, too far away, there's, there's a bunch of really important points I don't want to let slip through the cracks. What I heard you say was this, is in order to really get to know somebody, even if you feel like they're diametrically opposed is to recognize them through the lens of compassion. Have an understanding that we, all of us, no matter which side of the aisle, which side of any kind of argument, debate, agreeing or disagreement, Mm -hmm. there is that ultimately we're all driven by the same basic forces. So if somebody is acting out of anger or rage, That's just a cover emotion. And if we respond to the exterior, we're going to miss, like we were talking about earlier with medicine, the source. And if we could speak to the source, then what we're doing is we're speaking soul to soul. We're speaking humanity to humanity, not the covering. Exactly. Yep. And yep. That's really, really important. Look, um, I, and I don't mean to cut you off, Miguel, but I want to make sure that you have, that we talk about this, you have a book that's oh. going to be released very soon, correct?
2: Yeah, it, yeah, in April sometime, Tia Chucha Press, which is headed by Luis Rodriguez, <laughs> but it has been a good friend of mine for many, many years. They're publishing a volume number two of uh, Humberto Acabal, uh an anthology of Humberto Cabal's poems from Guatemala so in April sometime Tia Chichet Presto. So I encourage people if you liked uh the poetry that you heard today from Humberto, and I can read a few more poems if you like because they're very, very beautiful.
3: Well what I, I want to know is so tell us about the book. Tell us what uh we're gonna where we could go to get it and when we do go there to get it, what we can anticipate receiving.
4: Um Humberto, <laughs> like I was saying I could
2: read you some of the poems, but uh, Umberto had an incredible grace and elegance with language, right? That was totally unique. And you get uh, what I've tried to do. A lot of the times, the translations from one language to another, they they totally mangle the poems. I've seen I've seen that with Neruda poetry, mm-hmm. with some of the Vallejo poetry, and some of the Lorca poetry, you know. But no matter how much they mangle it in translation. It still carries through, it shows you how strong the poems are. With Humberto's, I tried to leave the cultural syntax in place because it makes you feel differently, it makes you think differently, it makes you see something differently, you know? And so with the poetry of Humberto, we get to see how they see the world, how the Maya see the world, you know, through the eyes and ears and songs, and faces of different people. So that's important for us to understand how other cultures have a place here. And it's not just the the Greek way, or it's not just the Babylonian way, or the Roman way, right? But it's also the Maya way. It's also the Yoruba way. It's also the uh, the the way of the uh, Shipibo way, or the, or the Lakota way, right, or the Arapaho way. It's important to be able to hear the song of the earth, from 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 that from that people and that people's voice and that's what you would hear from Humberto's poetry. You know, Tiachucha Press, tiachucha.com, Tia I think is where you. Find
3: Actually, it. you know what we're going to do? We're going to make it real easy on them. We're going to have them email you. And when your website is up and even before then, and when the book is released, we'll put some stuff on my social media. We'll make sure we get it out there. And And if they are or when they do email you, they're going to do so at what address?
2: My current email address is stonetune, stonetune, Stone Song right? stonetune at gmail.com. That's my current address, so that's the best way, way to get to me.
3: Stone... As in soup, tune as in tune. song, yeah,
5: yeah.
3: At Gmail, Stone yeah. Tune at Gmail, yeah. yeah, great. All right, so here's what I'm going to ask you to do because we're getting close to that time. I'm going to ask you to read one more poem, and then yeah. I'm going to ask you the final question. Of the evening, how's that?
5: Okay,
2: yeah. This is a poem from the uh, from the collection. It's called "In the Courtyard of the Moon." All right. And I'll say it in Spanish first, and I'll say it in English. La respuesta. Abrir la tierra con las manos. Llenarse con su aroma. Levantar la cara al cielo y comer el viento. Eso es la paz. The answer. To open up the earth with your hands. It's filled with its scent. Raise your face to the sky and eat the wind. That is peace
3: grandmother answered mm. that's beautiful yeah i love it all right and now basically is there anything you'd feel remiss in if you didn't share with our listeners this evening i mean a, shameless promotion plugs are absolutely on the table um, um any kind of wisdom that you'd care to share the, the floor is yours what, whatever you'd like to share with our listeners
2: I think what's important is to realize that people are in pain and they don't know that they're in pain. So you have to get interested in what their life experience is. Like one of my neighbors, you know, his, uh, I'll say you might know somebody that died from suicide, somebody that died from COVID, somebody who has a missing father, somebody who has a missing mother. Go out and mentor a kid, right? If you know somebody that got out from jail, make it, make it a point to befriend somebody. Get interested in the story of human of the humans in your neighborhood. Get to know your neighbors. Know all your neighbors. Know what they do. Know what they're interested. In, no matter what their political affiliations are, you know that's really important. Uh, uh, fill your community. You know, uh, build community. Most of the people that I know, I've been working with mentoring kids for twenty-five plus years, and almost all of them have a missing father and/or a missing mother. You know, so to fulfill that obligation, a lot of the things get done through the uncles and the aunts. Mm. So we have to bring back that relationship of extended family as teachers, because the single family unit is not viable these times. So I would say explore that possibility in your community. You know, that's really important. I would say. Get interested in your neighbors. Get to know your neighbors. Who needs help? There's a lot of homeless people where we live in L.A. There's tons of homeless people everywhere. Mm
4: -hmm. Give them
2: a dollar, you know, (laughs) give them some food, something of that nature, you know. But be generous and also be generous with the earth. I think gratitude is critical. And gratitude is not just for once a year on a Thursday in November. It should be done every day, every day, many times a day. Practice eloquence, practice beauty, and gift the earth. Give to the earth, reciprocate with the earth. We take, we take, we take, but we never give back to the earth. Even in death, we don't give back to the earth. And this is really important,
5: you know. So,
2: uh, I mean, we could go on for hours with this because there's a (laughs) lot of things in here. But anyway, but I would say be generous with the earth. Go tell, if you're stuck with something, go make a friend. Make it a task to make a friend with a stone with a tree and or a body of water, and you'd be surprised what happens. Go tell your story to the ocean. Go tell your story to the mountains. Go tell your story to a tree in particular, you know. Find out, you know. Listen to the earth around you. What are the birds in the morning? What are the birds in the afternoon? What are the birds in the evening, you know? Where does the moon rise in September? Where does the moon set in November? Where, you know, what all those things, what constellations? Get interested in your world around you, you know. So that's what I would say. Yeah,
3: beautiful. And your email address, one more time, please.
2: Stone s t o n e tune t u n e at gmail.com. And,
3: and just personally, professionally, for on behalf of our listeners, but specifically from me to you, thank you. You <laughs> ma- you made me feel at home again, and I am incredibly grateful for that.
2: No, you're welcome, Greg. Thank you very much. And I want to thank all those of you that stayed for the hour and a half and were (laughs) able to. Hopefully, I didn't get you too confused.
3: (laughs) All right, Miguel. Muchas gracias, señor.
2: Thank you, Greg. All right. Good night, everybody. Or good morning.
3: (laughs) And you know, I say this every single week if you have more questions and you would prefer to ask them privately, Feel free to do so. You can email me at innerjourneygregfriedman at gmail.com and tons of people, Randy and so many others that work really, really hard behind the scenes to make sure that we get to put this show out for you and you. I'm incredibly grateful for you. Because this show does not exist without you, the listening audience. Thank you. You've been listening to Inner Journey with Greg Friedman. Good night.
4: Hi, this is Greg Braden, and you're listening to Inner Journey with Greg Friedman.
3: You're a rock star, dude.